my dear respected brothers and sisters, our dear friends, it's an honor to be in your midst today to gather together like this. In these days when you can actually hear many, many talks online, there's everything available on YouTube and other places. And when you're listening to something online, you can actually you miss something you can actually make them repeat it you can stop them and rewind them you can make them go double the speed if they're speaking too slowly you can make them go faster but we still gather together because that's a human thing to do human beings are social creatures there's certain benefit and experience that you can't have online so it's always beneficial for believers to come together, especially in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because as believers, we believe in a spiritual dimension. That not only are you just listening to a talk, a speech, but rather when we enter the masjid, we say, Allahumma iftahli abwaaba rahmatik. Oh Allah, open up the doors of your mercy for me. So essentially, if you haven't made that dua, then I make that dua on behalf of everybody and you can say Ameen. So when we sit here, the doors of mercy should be opened. And thus we sit and we bask in this mercy that is descending and inshallah then we take it back home with us. Unless we lose it on the way somewhere. So <clears throat> today the discussion is about the Khalil of Allah. Khalil in Arabic is a very intense term for friendship comes from the root of khilla, which means friendship. You have a number of words in Arabic that expresses um, relationships. So, sadiq. Sadiq uh, is a friend, somebody who you're true to. comes from sidq. So, in Arabic, sadiq is a friend. But if that friendship gets even stronger, then it becomes khalil. So, you can tell that Ibrahim salam had a much stronger relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than just the normal friendship. That's why he's Khalilullah. That is his title, Khalilullah. The Khalil of Allah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, our Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he then, there's another term for him, which is the Habib of Allah, the beloved of Allah. That shows the most intense form of relationship. So you have Sadiq, you have Khalil, and then you have Habib. But Khalilullah was quite an intense relationship. And the reason for it is you can only show truthfulness to somebody else. You can only show a full, honest relationship and faithfulness to somebody else if you've been tested. If people have just gone through normal times, you know, nothing out of the ordinary, then it's very easy to work with someone. Like if you've got a co-worker, somebody you work with, and things are just going normal, it's very easy to get along as long as you're a half-decent person and they're a half-decent person. Then it's fine. Half-decent people get along. It's only people with extreme ideologies or temperaments or outlook reactions that generally get in trouble. However, we are normally challenged when things become upset, destabilized, imbalanced. That's when we're not used to those situations. Most of us are very good at just normal, formal relationships. When things become destabilized, Something confusing happens, complicated takes place, some trouble erupts. You're confronted with a challenge. 
then we're, because we're not used to that, we will then react in different ways. And that's really what matters. That part is what really matters because that's when you'll know whether you have a friend or somebody that will desert you. And Ibrahim was tested numerous times with some with tests that were intense. They were tested with some intense forms of trials and tests by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly. The story of Ibrahim salam, aside from the tests which are generally spoken about once we, in two months time, just over two months time, Eid al-Adha, everybody's going to be speaking about Ibrahim salam. Hajj is going to be around. It's going to be Hajj time and everybody's going to be speaking about Ibrahim salam. In fact, we're going to be doing, for those who go for Hajj, they're going to be doing something that Ibrahim salam. You can say started from him. So the stories of the test of Ibrahim is quite well known. We may allude to some parts of it. But I find that one of the biggest stories, narratives, one of the biggest lessons to draw from Ibrahim story is how a person is able to change his perspective and narrative. Now, I don't want this to sound too complicated. But narrative is something that we all relate to. Every one of us has a narrative that we follow. These are deep-seated assumptions, deeply held profound beliefs that color the way that we look at the world. They are things that are unquestionable to us. When we look at something, we will analyze and judge those things based on our deep-seated biases. The result that I come up with, the, the judgment that I may have, will be very different from somebody else. Based on how we've been brought up, what we have learned, what we have assimilated, and thus what is our worldview. People have cultural narratives, people have selfish narratives, people have religious narratives. People have liberal narratives. You can have as many narratives, you know, there are so many narratives. Narrative is the way you look at something, the way you judge something. I'll give you an example. It's so important to have the correct narrative. What is the correct narrative? The correct narrative is that which goes in accordance to what's the reality. What is the reality? How do you know the way you're looking at something, your belief in something? is the reality. You're going to say it's something different. I'm going to say it's something different. We can argue about it. So which is the reality? What is the truth? How do you determine that truth? The truth, as we know, for us, the source is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our source is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You've got two sisters, both brought up in the same house. Same kind of upbringing. One just had some friends at school that convinced her that she should act religiously and thus she should cover up. The other one hasn't had that exposure. The family was more liberal in that sense. The mother doesn't wear a hijab, for example. You've got two sisters brought up in the same house. One finds it so easy to go out and represent her faith. The other one has to hide it. She can't do it. What's the difference? Why is one able to do it and not the other? What makes that difference? What gives one the conviction to do something and the other one doesn't have that conviction? Where does all of that come from? I'll give you an example. In the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there was a deep-seated narrative that God was not close. You had to go through the idols. You couldn't go to Allah directly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had to break that down through Rasulullah. Numerous verses in the Quran. وَإِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ إِشْمَ أَزَّتْ قُلُوبُ الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْآخِرَةِ وَإِذَا ذُكِرَ الَّذِينَ مِن دُونِهِ إِذَا هُمْ يَسْتَبْشِرُونَ 
When, those, when Allah is mentioned alone, the faces undergo change. They don't like it. But when those besides Allah are mentioned, the idols and their gods, then they get very excited. Even though they believed in God, they believed in the Supreme Being, but they just felt that everything else was an intermediary in between. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ عِبَادَتِي سَيَدْخُلُونَ جَهَنَّمَ دَاخِرِينَ Those who consider themselves to be too arrogant, too big, to call unto Allah directly, then they're going to enter into hellfire. Allah then says, وَلَا تَدْعُوا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَنْفَعُكَ وَلَا يَضُرُّكَ Why do you call onto that or those things, those idols, that cannot benefit you nor harm you? Now what's very important to understand here is idols not being able to benefit you and not being able to harm you is something that they all deep down not knew about and believed in. How could you not? You know, for the whole life you've been worshipping them, putting food in front of them, they're still as ever. Right? They're made with your own hands. I mean, nowadays you could probably use digital printers. Right? But in those days there were no digital printers, so you had to make them with stone or wood or even dough, like pakore. Right? I mean, essentially that's what it was sometimes, you know, the, the ones you could take on a journey, which essentially served the dual purpose. When you got hungry, you could actually eat them as well because they were edible. Right? Now, Allah is saying, why do you call on to these things? Like, you know, sometimes we see, uh, you read in the news, you read a, an article about a particular group of people that follow a certain perspective. You think, how can you do that? i give you an example. A friend of mine is from Syria originally. His family had moved to, this was over 20 years ago. His father, his, his father and his family had moved to Saudi Arabia um, good 20 years ago. And he then was in America, and I was an imam in America at the time, right? over about 10, 12, 13 years ago. He was a bit, a bit of an exaggerator. Right? He had about a 40% exaggeration rate. So when you got to know him, you knew that whenever he said anything, then you had to decrease it by 40%, because that was his exaggeration rate. This, people, this can't help exaggerating, right? Wonderful person. So he told me that in Saudi there is a tribe or group, a particular area, where husband and wife could be married for as long as they want, but the husband is not allowed to see the wife's face. They wear a niqab. I couldn't believe him. I thought this was the exaggeration, 100% in this case. Right? So I just say, okay, whatever. Right? Several years ago, I'm reading an article about an incident that took place. Now remember, this is not everywhere. It's just a small group of people. A husband, his wife was sleeping. They've got children together. He pulled her niqab off or lifted the veil to see who he's married to while she was asleep. And then the interview with her says, I completely understand I completely understand that he would like to see me but our culture is I had to report she reported him that's when I realized wow something unbelievable it's an extreme now you see this is an extreme narrative but they all go by it they all accept it they all work according to it. See how powerful narrative is? Even though deep down she believes that he should have the right to see her. But the narrative that they have, the cultural narrative, trumps the Islamic narrative. I don't think even the ISIS do that. Those crazy guys, man. This is what you call the power of narrative. That's an extreme case, which just shows the power of even an extreme narrative. So the people of Makkah, deep down they knew these idols couldn't do anything for them, but they believed it. 
They went according to it. It's the thing you did. It's what you did. And because they were at a time when tribalism was very strong, no individualism, you couldn't differ from your tribe, there's some benefits to that. There's a lot of harm to that as well. One of the benefits is that when the leader of one of the tribes of Medina Munawwara became a Muslim, his whole tribe followed and became Muslim. How do you just convert en masse like that to a new belief, a new ideology? Unless you're in that narrative mindset of just following your leader. Today, parents find it difficult to have their children believe the same thing as them. Very difficult. I mean, I'm sure many of you know that. See, if you look at it from an analytical perspective, our first generation here, who came here, they've got a much more difficult... They've got a much more difficult task at their hands compared to those who are born here. Those who are born here, they primarily have two narratives that they need to juggle between. The Western paradigm and the Islamic paradigm. Right? In between all of that, if their parents are very cultural, they have to also deal with the cultural aspect. Those people who came as adults from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Egypt, Somalia, whatever, they've got Indian culture, Pakistani culture, whatever, Western culture, and Islamic ideology. Every, all three of them are very strong. But the strongest one will trump everything else. So if the Pakistani culture is very strong, or the Somali culture is very strong, then even the Islamic cultural following will be very low on the scale. And of course the Western. For our children generally, for the people who are born here, my generation that are born here, the Western culture is very strong. You go to school in the culture. You, this is what you're surrounded with. So you can see... You, you, you can see how these things work. Now, it'll take a few generations for Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Somalians to start marrying each other much more easily. Because it's a natural thing that if you have a certain culture that you follow, you will want to keep it within that culture. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as it doesn't lead to abuse. That's the main thing. It's completely fine for you to want your children to marry of the same culture. So... At least you can relate to the language. If you go over for food, it's the same kind of food, right? I mean, if you like Pakistani biryani and they're cooking some other kind of biryani, you might not like it. I can understand that. Not everybody wants to be patient. Not everybody wants to do sabr. Not everybody's so accommodating. I can understand that. The problem is when you impose culture in a way that harms the other person. So I'll give you another example of narrative. Just before Ramadan, there's a couple that came to me. The husband is Bangladeshi. The wife is uh, Punjabi, Pakistani. They've been married for over 10 years. They've got three children. And they are crying today. And the reason they're crying is because they understand that what they did was wrong. Culturally, socially wrong. Islamically, completely right. right. The Bangladeshi husband... His family has accepted, eventually accepted the union. The wife's side, it's another story. She cannot even go to her parents' home. Her mother's okay, but she goes to her parents' home and the father isn't there. And he comes back and finds out she was there. He will cause a massive problem. She's had three children. He refuses to see any of them. Extreme, strong narrative. Now, both of these are crying. They understand what they did at that time in their youthfulness of just, just doing it. right? It was wrong. But now, from the father's perspective, it's a very strong culture that she married outside that culture. She may have been promised to his brother's or sister's son. Because unfortunately, this happens in, the, in some cultures. From a young age, are you promised to anybody? Okay. Right. Because that happens. Now, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with promising somebody to whatever. As long as when they grow up, they have a choice. And they're both decent people. And that's fine. 
Because believe me, I've heard the horror stories. There's one sister, again, same similar kind of background. She was forced to marry her cousin. She knew it wasn't going to work. But everybody was blackmailing her, crying, becoming sick. That if she didn't marry, I would never eat again. And you know, the mother's saying this and emotional blackmail. She married. Within six months, it's broken. At least in this case, the parents allowed it to break. Otherwise, they won't even allow it to break. No, you must, till death, you must not depart. Like the Catholics say. Whereas in Islam, we have a divorce. There's a, divorce is valid. It's bad. But in certain cases, it's the best thing to do. Right? It's the best thing to do in certain cases rather than to be miserable and bring children up in that misery. That's a different story. So now I can understand from the father's perspective that he was upset with his daughter. Fine, be upset. Humans have the right to be upset when something goes wrong. You can be upset. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is that the narrative is so strong. He could have been upset with her for one year. Maybe two years. Maybe even three years for good measure. But ten years. They've been married together. Ten years. And he still is as upset as ever. How can you humanly do that? What is the narrative that you follow? It's understandable that if she had married some sharabi kababi guy. But he, she hasn't. He's a decent guy. Right? Muslim. Decent children. They're bringing them up. You've observed, okay, you know, it's fine now. Okay, don't you want to be forgiven by Allah? Is your narrative so strong? Can you see the narrative now? Is that a haq narrative or a batil narrative? Like think about it. We in our own small ways have narratives. This is one of the challenges that we're facing. Ibrahim salam had a similar had a similar challenge. But he rode against that narrative, very strong narrative, to such a degree his, his father or his uncle, whoever it was, is making idols. He is the manufacturer of idols. He's born into that family. But he questions everything. He's looking for the truth. He has to take some difficult decisions to maintain and follow the truth and not to remain within that narrative. But look what Allah gives him, that after Rasulullah he is the most superior of all prophets. That's why today he is on the seventh heaven, according to the hadith in Sahih Muslim, where the Prophet went for his tour of the heavens in his ascension. On the first heaven he saw Adam salam, Yusuf, uh, he carried on Isa salam, Yusuf and so on. On the seventh heaven, leaning on the Kaaba of the angels, which is called Al-Baytul Ma'mur, on the seventh heaven around with 70,000 angels go around every single day. And once they've gone around once, they never get a chance again. You think it's tough? Hajj is tough? They only get one chance to do tawaf around their Kaaba on the seventh heaven. Never again will they get a chance. That's where he is. With all of these tests, challenging the narrative, finding the truth, the waqi. That's why it's important. How do you determine that the truth of something? How do you determine the truth of something? These are the examples. There are so many examples like this of narrative. Let's give another example. One of the reasons why a lot of our non-Muslim neighbors here will never understand why our women have to cover. Why you will pray five times a day. You will be at work and then ask for ten minutes break and go and do something in a corner. They just can't understand why. Who are you calling on to? I can't see this Lord. I can't feel this Lord. I can't experience God. What kind of a God is He if He wants you to pray five times a day to Him? He needs your prayer? He needs your worship? That means God is in need? That doesn't make any sense to me. That's what they say. How do you respond to that? They say, Why does your women cover up? Why do you cover up you women? Now the, our poor women, they'll say, it's my choice. Like, we know it's your choice. Why do you make that choice? See what I'm saying? Why do you make that choice? They think the reason you make that choice is because you've been subjugated. You've, been, you've bought a narrative of subjugation. 
that you are inferior, you must cover up. This is what they think. The way to challenge is they're coming from a, another narrative, a very deep-seated assumptions. So my question to them generally is, can you tell me, this is recently in our, one of our local colleges, there was a woman, uh, one of our female speakers, she started speaking first. As Soon as she finished her talk, it was kind of an interfaith panel, as soon as she finished her talk, they just jumped on her with all these questions. Why do you have to wear this hijab? Isn't that oppression? No, it's my choice, it's my choice. I'm like, poor woman, when she's going to get really in trouble with this. Right? Like, why do you make that choice? You know? Now, when it was my turn, then I decided to answer that question. I said to them, I said, look, why are you so aggravated by this? Why are you so restless? Why, what's your problem with this? Why is wearing jeans and a t-shirt any superior to wearing a flowing gown and a scarf on the head? Why is it any different? Who makes that judgment? Who makes that determination? Why is this more valuable than this? Is there a consideration of heat? Is there a What are you looking at? What makes you decide that? You see, narrative is a deep-seated assumption. Their deep-seated assumption is that you mustn't cover your hair because that's oppression. Why is that any inferior to not covering your hair? On what part of the body? Where's the line on the body after which it's immoral to cover? Who made that judgment? Who made that decision? You know who makes the decision? Custom. Same thing. It's custom. Custom is king. It's the Western In Egypt today, 85% of women cover their head. About 85% of women cover their head. About 15% don't. If Egypt was to make a law that all women should cover their head, what's going to happen? It's going to cause a massive uproar. Human rights, this, that, and the other, whatever. 85%, only 15% that have to do anything different. In America, women are not allowed, a man is allowed to jog without a t shirt, bare chested, no problem. In England as well. But if a woman tries to do that in England or in America, it's not allowed. But if you go to France, they can do this at the beach. It's not a problem. Why? Because in England and in America, the majority of people find that offensive. A minority don't. But you can get away with the law here. But in Egypt, because it would go against the general Western law, it would be problematic. These are the kind of arguments you need to have in your mind about narrative, otherwise you will lose your arguments because you've already bought into that narrative and then you're arguing within that narrative and you don't have an argument. Do you understand? Once you've already agreed to argue according to that, yes, I understand, then you are already, you've already lost. You have to challenge basic assumptions. Why do you believe that's the case? Why do you think that way? What makes you, okay, you can think whatever you want, but why does your thought why is your thought any superior to my thought? It's not a, they don't do a scientific debate. It's not based on any kind of empirical evidence. It's purely based on what the prevalent custom is. And that's why going back to our local community level, if we are to bring our customs, our customs are good, but they must be able to work with others, these customs. Otherwise, we will have where certain masjids will, certain Gujarati masjids may not allow Pakistani students to come and study there because they can't be members. We may have certain Pakistani masjids that may not allow Somalis to come in because the culture is too strong. You can have culture in terms of all food that's generally served here is going to be Pakistani food, alhamdulillah, I don't mind that. That's enjoyable. But there has to be levels of these things. This is what you call narrative. The, one of the biggest lessons I learned from Ibrahim salam is that Ibrahim salam starts Remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ لِأَبِيهِ آزَرَ أَتَتَّخِذُ أَصْنَامًا آلِهَا إِنِّي أَرَاكَ وَقَوْمَكَ فِي طَلَالٍ مُبِينٍ Remember when Abraham said to his father Azar How can you take these idols as God? It just doesn't make any sense to me 
probably didn't make sense to them as well, but it was a business. You made money. It was the culture. I see that your pe- you and your people have clearly gone astray. That's a challenge. How do you say that to somebody? In this way, we showed Ibrahim alayhi salam. وَكَذَلِكَ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ مَلَكُوتَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلِيَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُوْقِنِينَ How did he find the truth then? Allah says, in this way we showed Abraham Allah's mighty dominion over the heavens and the earth so that he might be a firm believer. We wanted to make him a firm believer. Then the whole story. He sees one of the prominent things in the heavens, in the skies. He saw a star. When the night grew dark, he saw a star. He said, this is my Lord. Because when you're coming from their perspective of the people of the time that you worship these idols and things. So it's an object worship at the end of the day. The biggest object is this star that shines at night. Now, Ibrahim doesn't have to be believing in this. It could be that he's just demonstrating this to the people. Okay, if these things know, that's probably the God. But, said, when it's set, he said, I don't like things that set. They can't be godly. Look at his discourse. And then he saw the moon rising. The moon is much brighter. It's a planet, but it's much brighter than any star. Those stars are greater than these planets, but those stars are further away. He said, this is my Lord. But then when that too set, he said... If my Lord doesn't guide me, I shall be one who goes astray. You see, that's humility. That's humility to ask. This proves that he had a Lord from before. Can you see that? This in itself proves that he's not relying on these stars. This is a demonstration he seems to be giving. Because he's saying, if my Lord doesn't guide me, he believes in the Lord. He's like, oh, where is my Lord? Then I'm just trying to tell you people where this Lord is. So then he says, then he sees... The sun rising and he cries, this is my Lord, this is greater. See, he's taking everybody with him in that narrative. This must be the Lord then. But then when the sun said, he said, my people, I've just demonstrated to you. He didn't say that, but I'm using those words. He said, I disown all that you worship besides God. They all said, they can't be God. They They all said they cannot be God. And then he says, I have turned my face as a true believer. Inni wajjahtu wajhi. I have turned my face. Lilladhi fatara samawati wal ard. Wama ana min al mushrikeen. I've turned my face as a true believer towards him who created the heavens and the earth. And I am not one of the polytheists. I don't believe in anything besides him. His people argued with him. Now look at this illumination. He says, are you debating with me about God when he has guided me? The gnosis he had, the recognition, the knowledge that he had suddenly developed about Allah was so strong, nothing could shake him. Nothing could shake him anymore. That's what you call when the truth prevails on someone nothing is shaky the sad fact is when culture is so strong that nothing can shake you because that is what you call compound ignorance one is you know you're wrong in this case you're wrong and you don't even know you're wrong so you can't even correct yourself how can you argue me when Allah has guided me I do not fear anything you associate with him unless my Lord wills nothing can happen my Lord, He encompasses everything in His knowledge. How can you not take heed? Give you another example. We have a famous Sahabi, Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu. Sayyiduna Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu. One of the most intelligent 
men uh, in the Arabian Peninsula before Islam. Dahiyatul Arab. Very intelligent, very shrewd, very diplomatic. And he was connected to the world leaders. That's why, you know, the first migration to Abyssinia, to Habasha, Ethiopia, right? Who did the people of Mecca send to bring the people back? They sent Amr ibn As, and he wasn't a Sahabi at the time. But they sent him because he had contacts with these people. So he took huge gifts and so on as a delegation, went to Abyssinia, to the Najashi, and he said to him, uh, Negus, that you know, we, these people, they've escaped and so on. The first story is well known, as you know, that then uh, they, the, the king, he invited the Muslims among whom was Ja'far radiallahu anhu ibn Abi Talib and he gave he gave his he, he gave his khutbah Amr ibn As was in that gathering and he heard it and he says afterwards that the effect of this came into my heart I wasn't really much of a believer in the idols I wasn't really into it it's just my culture, I was just going with it. He had a, he had a political... He, he, there's a lot of people who don't care about labor or conservative, they just want a political career. So they just shake their way through. Right? It's, just, it's just really sad. Right? So, he says, it kept into my heart, but it takes a while for it to jump, because when you've got deep-seated deep beliefs and culture, they don't change overnight. So, it was only later, many years later, before the conquest of Makkah, that suddenly he appears in Medina Munawwara, and he becomes a Muslim. It took a while. So sometimes to change narratives can take a while, unless you want to like Ibrahim You want to change them straight away. It's got these huge narratives like this which is plaguing our ummah and that is what causes us problems. If everybody could understand that, yes, my culture is important, my certain beliefs are important, but Islam should be above all, then we can learn to live with each other. And we're going to have to do that in these countries where we have been brought together by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the question that arises is, how does one determined narrative. Let me give you an ultimate example. <clears throat> Shaitan's example. Right. Shaitan says when he was commanded by Allah to prostrate in front of Ibrahim, uh, in front of um, Adam Now, you've got one created being of Allah who is created from fire. You've got another being that's created from soil. They're both slaves of Allah, both makhluk and created beings of Allah. So Allah is above them. He's telling one of them to prostrate in front of the other. Shaitan has already had his share of ibadah. He's been doing worship of Allah throughout. Major worshiper before. Adam salam hasn't had that experience. He's just new, right? So, wouldn't it have been very easy for Shaitan, Iblis, to have just said, okay, that's just another way of worship, let me do that. Now, this relationship, this challenge, this tension, how many ways of looking at this is there? One way is what Shaitan looked at. I am made from fire. That's what God created me from. My origin is fire. He is made from soil. Soil is lowly, people tread on soil, fire rises, why should I prostrate in front of him? That's one narrative. I think personally we can judge which is the best narrative, but this narrative is one narrative, one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it. Now think about it rationally. What are other ways of looking at this? Another way of looking at this is, I'm made from fire, he's made from soil, right? Up to they were the same, same narrative. But fire ruins, consumes, incinerates, inflames, destroys 
and leaves ashes in its wake. Soil refreshes, revives, gives life, gives growth, gives nourishment. Isn't that another way to look at it? Don't you think this second narrative is at least equal to the first narrative, rationally speaking, if not better? Right? The first one is based on negativity. Second one is based on fairness. But it's still a narrative, and probably the second one is better in, right? at least equal. You've got a third possibility. I mean, there could be many possibilities. These are just the three I've thought about. Third possibility is, forget where I'm made of, or what I'm made of, and forget what he's made of. We're both created by Allah. God wants me to prostrate to him. I've already been doing worship all over the place. That's what I should be doing. I'm going to do it. I don't care. Now, isn't that another narrative? Logically? Isn't it as equal as the other? It's a spiritual narrative. It's a more divine narrative. So you've got three ways of looking at something. Which one does he choose? He chooses the worst one, which gets him into trouble. The second one wouldn't have got him into trouble. Third one would not have gotten him into trouble. The first one gets him into trouble and now he has to do all of this hard work of misleading us. It's sad for us, but that's the reality. A bad narrative messed, up, messed it all up. Now the question is, why did he think that way? Why did he take the most negative narrative over the most positive narrative? Despite the fact that they are at least equal, all of them. Could have easily gone for the second one, easily gone for the third one. Think of something like that in your life. Something we have, based on a certain narrative, we made a mistake. And we're paying today for that mistake. I'm not saying this to curse shaitan, though he is that cursed. I'm saying this to teach us a lesson. That we don't want to do shaitan's narrative as well. When we get into this world and do things. So now, <clears throat> what you have is... He could have so easily had that, but at the bottom of all of this is what you call, there are two concepts in Islam. One is called, um, one is called Tawfiq and the other one is called Khidlan. Most of you have heard of Tawfiq. Have you heard of Khidlan? Who's heard of Khidlan, the opposite of Tawfiq? Tawfiq, the definition of Tawfiq by the ulama is that when Allah makes your deeds in accordance to what he is pleased with. You know when you've got two ways of doing something, like shaitan had these three options. He chose the worst option. Did he get Tawfiq? No. Because Tawfiq is when Allah makes you, allows you to do something, guides you to do something divinely to that which he is pleased with and satisfied. The opposite of that is when Allah doesn't guide you, leaves you alone. He doesn't have to force you. He doesn't have to force anybody into misguidance. Allah says, you know, we, we know from uh, that this is Allah. Yahdi man yasha, yudillu man yasha. He guides whom he wills and he... What does yudillu man yasha mean? A lot of people, they miss... Translate this as misguides, which means it takes you and forces you to do wrong. Then the whole question that arises on that is, if he does that, then why should you be punished for it? If he's forcing, taking you, throwing you into the wrong, then why should you be punished for it? Then where's your choice gone? That's why according to the Maturi, the theologians say that it's a matter of khidlan. The Arabic word is called khidlan. Khidlan means to forsake. Jaw, we leave you. You do what you want now. You don't want to listen to us? You do what you want. Then the heart, the nafs is so strong, very inclined to the dunya. It's only tawfiq of Allah that keeps us away from it because the nafs loves things to have enjoyment. It loves to have enjoyment. The dunya is very attractive. When Allah forsakes somebody, abandons somebody, it's very easy for this connection to happen and thus the person becomes a dunyawi thing completely and then he loses it. So, yudillu man yasha, he allows to stray, leaves to stray whom he wills. 
How is the difference between tawfiq and khidlan? Is based on deeds that we do, du'as that we make. For example, let's take a simple example. If you respect the deen and anything related to the deen, which means the masjid, the Qur'an, the books, respect of the Prophet, his sunnah, respect of the ulama, the carriers of the deen, you will be given barakah in your life in the form of tawfiq, where you will start making better decisions that will be less harmful and that will be beneficial. And if there are certain things that, you, that will not happen to you, they will happen to your children. Tawfiq will benefit your progeny until the Day of Judgment. And the benefit of this is, I give you an example. We've got a, uh, from the Khurasan and, um, from the Khurasan and the Transoxiana area, which is today Uzbekistan in that area. You had a big scholar from the area called Shamsuddin, uh, Shamsul Imma Al-Hulwani, Rahmatullahi Alayhi, one major jurist of the Hanafi Madhab, a big scholar. He was not from a family of ulama. His father used to sell mitai, sweets. Right? That's why it's called hulwani. Hulwan means the person who sells sweets. Halwa. Right? Whenever, he would, whenever a scholar would come to buy from him, he would give them a gift or discount or whatever. I mean, the ulama here haven't told me to tell you this, by the way. Right? So this is not a conspiracy here, right? Um, but just out of respect for knowledge He would give them a discount He would give them a special bonus Whatever the case is His child becomes one of the greatest scholars of his time And this is I'm giving you one example from history Today I know somebody Who is in one of the northern cities His father was a shopkeeper Again very respectful to Dean His son Became Such a big scholar that he was teaching Sahih al-Bukhari in India, though he's British. He studied at a madrasa and he was chosen to teach Sahih al-Bukhari and today he's a big scholar. He's not a, from a family of scholars. Where does this come from? Matter of tawfiq. Remember, you may not be a hafiz of the Qur'an. You may not be an alim. You may be 50 years old now and think, where am I going to become an alim? Right? Or a hafiz. But you give respect and dua to Allah and Allah will show it to you from your children. Not just from your children. On the day of judgment, you will rise up and see somebody and say, he's a big alam, big hafiz, big wali of Allah. He is your seventh great grandchild. That's why the dua in the Quran, رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُنَ O oh, our Lord, give us from our spouses and our children. So both husbands and wives can make this dua because it's saying, give us from our children and our spouses. So when the wife makes his dua, it's for the husband. When the husband makes his dua, it's for the wife. Give us from our children and our spouses those which are the gladness of our eyes. That when you see them, they satisfy you for the right reason. And not just satisfaction in this world. You see, you might think, I want my child to be a big businessman. I don't care about whether he prays Fajr or not. Or whether he remembers me after I'm dead and gives some Isal al-Thawab or not. I'm just worried that he is set. set set But set him in both worlds, man. Don't set him for this, this world. The other day, Ibn al-Qayyim relates in his masterpiece on paradise he says there's a man in jannah suddenly he gets an upgrade in paradise have you ever felt an upgrade when you're in coach class and you've got a seven uh what is it, a 10 hour flight on pia to pakistan suddenly you say you're going to get an upgrade you're like wow man so i gotta lie you know i can lie down now get better food feels very good you're getting that in jannah where there's no option you can't even buy an upgrade there you either work for it in the world or not where did I get this from, he will say. Because one of your children just made istighfar for you. Of course, this is all retrospective, but one of your children sought forgiveness for you. 
Do you expect our children to seek forgiveness for us, which is a, a religious, spiritual thing, if we've just made them dunyawi and set them up in the world and they don't care about the deen? You expect some istighfar from them? So this dua, O oh our Lord, give us from our spouses and our children, those which are the gladness of our eyes. And he says, رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا Not وَأَوْلَادِنَا There's a difference in dhurriya and awlad. In a, in this, in, this is the way I look at it. Not just my children that I can see. Not, even, not just my grandchildren that I can see. But dhurriya is a term for descendants. O oh Allah, make from our spouses my, my descendants until the day of judgment. Those that will gladden my eyes. I may never see them in this world because they will come after me. I'll be long forgotten maybe. But on the day of judgment, I will see and I'll be told, this is your great, great, great granddaughter who's a waliya of Allah. Now what happiness on that. What a satisfaction there. And today it's possible that you can have dunya and deen. It's completely fine. I know somebody, he's a hafid of the Quran, he's doing alim class, he's also doing physics at UCL. It's a possibility. It's not impossible. Today, alhamdulillah, Allah has given us, but you need narrative, perspective to decide, I want that. When you don't have that, and you're just in a losing cultural narrative of bas, paise banane I just need to make money, or I just need to set karna or something like that, whatever the terms are. You have to think out of the box. I want more than that. I've got greater ambition. I want this and I want that as well. And I want that as well possibly. Possibly. Then the dua says, رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنَ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَادِنَا قُرَّةَ عَيُنَ وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا Make us leaders for those who are righteous. You are asking Allah for leadership. Don't you have people who are high aspirers? They want to be, <coughs> they want to be a mosque committee. They want to be local politicians, councillors, things like that. Alhamdulillah. These people who are, are people who have aspiration. They have himma. They have high... They have high resolution. That's good. Just make sure that resolution is used in the right way. That's what it is. Leave behind a legacy. What are you going to leave behind? You might think, I'm not a big alim. You know, what am I going to leave behind? Ask Allah for tawfiq. Fas'alullah tawfiq. We want to stay away from khidlan. We don't want Allah to forsake us so that we fall into the wrong narrative. We want Allah to guide us. To hold our hands and take us essentially. That's what it is. That's why our dua to Allah is, Oh Allah, we've seen in this world where children who are learning to walk and then they start stumbling, they get tired. What does the father do? What does the mother do? Picks that child up. We are like that. We are stumbling around in our ignorance. We want Allah to pick us up and take us. That's what I call the story of Ibrahim salam. Ibrahim salam is then loved by Allah so much in numerous tests. I mean, I don't, there's no time to go through listing tests. But Allah mentions these stories in the Quran to give us lessons. He goes through the test of having to desert his wife, uh, Hajar. Ajar or Hajar, that's the name. It's not Hajira, by the way. Right? It's Hajar or Ajar. In Makkah, where there was nothing at the time, just desert, no water even. And what comes from that? You get Zamzam. That comes from the feet of Ismail, the efforts and the sacrifice of Hajar. She runs between the two mountains of Safa and Marwa, looking for water. Today, for a lot of people to do that, Four, I think it's about four miles in total, maybe about 10 kilometers going seven times. And people get tired, right? Now you have to remember in those days, those were mountains. They weren't what it is today of nice marble flat ground and a little mountain that you can just about kind of see. They were actually mountains. That's why, you know the part in the green light, you know where you have to run, the green lighted area. That was the valley floor. 
That's why we run there. The other part was a mountain, both sides. But Makkah has a lot of floods. So most of this was eaten away or the ground became higher. Some, you know, it's become more balanced. Otherwise, these were mountains. Safa and Marwa. There's no mountain there. Marwa, there's nothing. The Safa is a bit, right? But there were mountains at that time. She ran from one place to the next. Allah loves that action of a woman so much that today, Sa'i, every man and woman does and will do until the day of judgment who wants to perform the Hajj or perform the, uh, perform the Umrah. This is the one religion in the world, uh, among the main religions of the world, where they have an act and a deed that comes from a woman's doing it. Go to Christianity, go to Judaism, they don't have a single deed right, a single right of worship which comes from a woman. Whereas we have this, that this was a beloved action of Hajar and thus it becomes something. Now where's the feminism gone? Where's the, you know, now it's feminists today have discovered Hajar, this single mother, the, you know, this brave woman who was deserted, left and abandoned in, in their opinion, right? And she managed to do this and thus she becomes memorable and memorialized in this deed of sa'i that we do. Numerous stories. Then Ibrahim Ismail grows up. A local population develops because there's people from Yemen who have just come. They're looking for a place with water. They suddenly find this place. They ask Hajar can we stay here? She said, yes, you can stay here, but you have, I control the water. But feel free to inhabit this area. Ismail then gets married within that. Ibrahim comes on occasions to visit. Then he's about 12 years old or something. And Ismail Ibrahim only had him when he was about 70 years old. At a very old age. And now he's about 12 years old, his child. And Allah tells him, in a dream, you must sacrifice this child. And the story of that is the Eid story. It's a popular story. He fulfills that. That becomes memorialized in the Hajj procedure. And thus we have the sacrifice on Eid. We have the, the stoning of the shaitan at the places where shaitan tried to distract him, passing every test that was thrown at him until Allah makes him his khalil. We want also some kind of relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our tests are not as great as the tests of Ibrahim. We couldn't stand them. That requires a certain level of iman. Allah only tests us based on our iman generally. Otherwise it's a punishment. Allah tests us based on our level of Iman. And the closer we want to be with Allah, we're going to have to learn to deal with tests. But we ask Allah for afiyah. We ask Allah for well-being. This is the story of Ibrahim and the story of Ismail as mentioned in the Quran. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to correct our narrative. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq and to allow us to choose the best regardless of whatever we've held. If we have narratives that are not favorable in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we ask Allah to make us balanced in our approach we ask Allah to grant us success because the ultimate success is of the world hereafter wa akhiru da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma anta as-salam wa minka as-salam tabarakta ya adal jalali wal ikram Allahumma ya hayyu ya qayyum birahmatika nastaghith اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Oh Allah we ask you for your mercy today Oh Allah we ask you for your blessings Oh Allah we ask you for your attention Oh Allah we ask you for your help and assistance Oh Allah without your help and assistance we are nothing Oh Allah we have sinned greatly we have many problems with our life. O oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness from all of those sins we've committed that has brought misery in our lives. O oh Allah, that has turned people against each other, that has taken the barakah away from our homes. O oh Allah, that have turned children against their parents. O oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness from these sins. We ask you to remove and eliminate them from our life. 
Oh Allah, we especially ask you to forgive those sins of ours that have now become part and parcel of our life. And no longer do we even consider them to be wrong. Oh Allah, we've assimilated them into our lives and we've justified their presence. Oh Allah, grant us understanding, grant us discernment. Oh Allah, grant us tawfiq. Oh Allah, whatever incorrect opinions we may have, incorrect perspectives we may have, whatever battles that are going on in our mind and our heart, Oh Allah, allow us to win them in your favor. Oh Allah, allow us to win them in your favor. Allow your tawfiq. Oh Allah, allow the correct narrative to dominate. Oh Allah, allow, allow the correct perspective to dominate. Allow the iman to infuse us. Allow our hearts to be illuminated. Allow the darkness, remove the darkness from our heart. Oh Allah, whatever, whatever darkness there may be, we ask that you remove it and replace it with your light. Make your obedience beloved in our heart. Make your disobedience hated in our heart. Oh Allah, Ramadan has just passed. We don't want it that by the time the next Ramadan comes, that we lose everything we gained in Ramadan. Allow the barakat and blessings of this month of Ramadan that have just passed to continue with us and to shine, shine their lights for us. To keep us infused and immune to many sins that we may feel like committing. Oh Allah, we ask you for assistance. We ask you to carry us. We ask you to take us by the forelocks and enter us into paradise. Oh Allah, we ask that you bless all of those who've made, who've worked hard to establish our faith in this country and to establish these masajid and these madaris and all of these other institutes and we ask that you allow us to now continue and to rise to the challenges and deal with the challenges oh Allah there are many fitna and challenges out there day by day our children and us we are faced with these challenges and fitna oh Allah grant us the resolve the determination of Ibrahim alayhi salam grant us the iman and the insight of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Oh Allah, grant us the special relationship that he enjoyed with you, the special guidance that he received. Oh Allah, against all odds of his own culture, of his own family, oh Allah, of his own area, oh Allah, he still succeeded and today he is remembered. Oh Allah, allow us to also do something by which we will be positively remembered, that will be a source of our elevation in Jannatul Firdaus. And oh Allah, we also ask that you give us some tawfiq to assist and to be accepted for the service of your deen. Oh Allah, many of us won't even know how we can help the deen. But oh Allah, you know how you can employ us. In you, you don't need anybody. We're asking you to accept us. Oh Allah, accept us all. Oh Allah, bless all of those who are sat here and do not allow any one of us to return from here without being forgiven. Oh Allah, guide us. Oh Allah, bless us. Oh Allah, have mercy on us. We ask you finally that you send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that you grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun ala muslimin. Where I am in London, in Hackney, I have my local masjid. I have another masjid two miles down the road where I was imam for about over five years. And there's another masjid about three miles away on the other side. We got three different timetables and two different eats, mashallah. A lot of choice. Right? We're in the world and time of choice. Now, <clears throat> what's very interesting is that all three of these masjids, the people who run them, they're all from the same background, Gujaratis. Okay? It is not a Gujarati problem, but this is what it happens to be here. They're all Gujaratis. Many of them actually related as well. Some of them are related as well. I don't follow the timetable of my masjid. It's, they, they follow, although I think it's a valid timetable because it, uh, it, it, they took it from a big scholar um, uh, from Pakistan. My uncle was the imam and he's the one who made the timetable. Right? Though I don't follow it, but I still think it's valid. But it's only one masjid in the whole country who I think follow that timetable. So one of the old is not very knowledgeable. He's just, mashallah, Allah used him to make the masjid. He says to me the other day, look at those guys in the other masjid. They stop their fasting two hours afterwards. Because these guys go with 15 degrees, they go with uh, some 12 degrees. 
So I was very amused at what he was saying. What he is saying, I have heard similar things said by the people in the other masjid about this masjid. That look at those guys, they stop so early, why do they make it so difficult? Both of these people are speaking on ignorance. They have no research. They're just normal people. The reason why he's so confident about his position is because he's doing it for the last 35 years. And the person there, same thing. So he's very strong on that, even though they could be related, right? Same manhaj, same tabligi background, everything. So it's not, we're not even talking about, you know, big differences here. Very similar, they could be brothers. In some cases, I think there are some brothers on this side, that side, right? But he is so confident about his way and he's so confident about his way. And I'm sure the third one's the same. Do you understand? So, how do you deal with that? I tell them, when I was Imam, and this question used to come up, I say, look, you follow your local masjid, that's your job. If you've got the ability to do research, then go and research, speak to the ulama, read both sides of the story, or three sides of the story, however many sides, and ask for guidance, and then see what Allah gives you. Then you follow that. But, you don't have a right to speak if you have no research. Just because you follow something doesn't give you the right to argue about it. Because you're just following it because it's the culture of that masjid. So this was another example which I didn't bring up. Allah made me forget it for some reason, but mashallah, you made me remember it. The way that the good point, the way to the steps to take first and foremost dua to Allah. Oh Allah, give me understanding of the reality. One, some, some, there are some very nice du'as in that regard. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqa wa razukna tiba'a wa arina al-baatila baatila wa razukna shtinaba Oh Allah, show me the truth as the truth. So whatever is the truth, show it to me as the truth and allow me to follow it. And show me the wrong as the wrong in its true colors and allow me to abstain from it. Very powerful dua. Another one is, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ash-shakki fil haqqi ba'd al-yaqeen. Oh Allah, I seek your refuge from doubt after having conviction. Rabbana la tuzik qulubana ba'd id hadaytana wa hablana billadunka rahma is another one. Don't cause our hearts, oh Lord, don't cause our hearts. So first thing, dua. Number two, knowledge. Anything that confuses you, go and find out from the ulama. Go and find out. And if an alim tells you, no, 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 you shouldn't get into this, ignore him. Go to another alim. No longer can we say, if, some, if you ask about evolution, no, no, you shouldn't be reading about it. People are reading about it. People need to know. So go to somebody else. Right? And go and learn from the right sources what it is. You don't want to end up in a bigger mess. So... Dua and amal and ikhlas, sincerity for Allah that, oh Allah, I want to do the best, please help me. Inshallah, Allah will help.